Seesaw Pop, Season 3, Episode 3. Hello and welcome to Seesaw Pop. My name is Laura and my guest today is education consultant, teacher, trainer and writer, Rebecca Ella Melitas. Rebecca has over 15 years experience working in adult education and non-profit leadership in the USA. She's passionate about finding and sharing practical ways to apply adult learning theory in the classroom. As a first generation college grad, she's a keen advocate for educational access for adult learners. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thanks for having me, Laura. I'm excited to be here. When I read your blog a few weeks ago and in our previous chats, you mentioned Malcolm Knowles and this theory of andragogy. In a nutshell, how would you summarize Malcolm Knowles' theory of andragogy? A lot of times when we think about educational theory, we hear the word pedagogy, which is related to teaching children. In the 1970s, Malcolm Knowles presented a theory called andragogy. Uh, He defined it in a book called The Modern Practice of Adult Education. He said that this theory is the art and science of helping adults learn. Prior to Malcolm Knowles putting out that theory, most of what we knew about how learning develops was based on observation of childhood learning. We often learn in teacher training programs about Piaget's theory of cognitive development, for example. But in the 1970s, corporate training was starting to become a bigger and more popular industry. So Malcolm Mills studied what it takes to teach an adult effectively, and he proposed this theory of andragogy. And when you say adult learning, are we just talking about people who are 18 years plus? Is That's defined a bit by where you are geographically. Here in the U.S., it can be 16 plus, depending on some special circumstances. There's no upper age limit. In an adult learning classroom, you could have a 16-year-old and a 96-year-old sitting next to each other. Reading your article, you mentioned some different principles of Malcolm Knowles' andragogy. What are those principles? And how could teachers practically apply them in their teaching and in their classes with their adult learners? Malcolm Knowles originally proposed six principles, but practically speaking for us as adult educators, they can really be condensed down into four big ideas. The first idea is that adults are self-directed. In their lives outside of the classroom, adults depend on themselves. Many times they come to us already having jobs, they have family obligations, they are used to being the caregiver or the authority in a lot of their relationships. They want to take on that role of responsibility and maintain it in the classroom as well. One of the really important things here is to seek continuous feedback from the learners on how the class is working from them. And I will say that a side note on that is that if you're going to ask for feedback, You have to listen to it and implement it. You'll lose the respect of your class if you take their time to gather feedback and you don't do anything with it. Another thing that can really help to implement this in the classroom is to ask learners rather than telling them to do things. We really need to break down the power relationship in the classroom and help the students see that we know that we're in an equal partnership in the learning space. So, for example, if you need to teach business language as a requirement for the particular course level that you're teaching, you want to know what businesses your students are in or what they're interested in, and perhaps 
your syllabus says that you need to work on a business email, giving presentations, client negotiations, you would want to ask your students which ones of those things are most challenging for them and which they already feel comfortable with so that you allot your class time in a way that gives them the most practice at the thing that they need. What about if learners want to focus on certain areas that they think they need, but you as a teacher, you identify, actually, this is what you need. I think that that ties into another principle, which is that adults are intrinsically motivated. For example, you're learning German for your life in Switzerland, right? And there are particular tasks that you need to be able to accomplish in your life. An example from my own teaching is that here in the U.S. and the system that I teach in, we're required to incorporate math into English language learning. And I had a student in my class a couple of years ago who wanted to be a cosmetologist. She was very stylish, fashionable, always came to class looking fantastic, but she hated the math portion of class and she wasn't shy about telling me that she hated it. So I started talking to her one day about the new hair color I had just gotten done. I color my hair. And she was asking me to become her client after she finishes cosmetology school. So I asked her some questions about how you color a person's hair. And she starts trying to explain the process of combining chemicals to me. And I said, okay, how do you decide how much of each of those chemicals you need? And she tries to tell me without success. And I said, this is math. This is why you need math as a cosmetologist. I know it doesn't seem immediately obvious to learning English for the job that you want, but it's an important part of helping you get to your goal. So having talked about adults being self-directed and intrinsically motivated, there are obviously two other principles. What would you like to unpack next? Adults use their past experiences to process all new learning. This can be a really huge factor kind of depending on what your contexts are. Children typically come into a classroom with limited life experience, but adults come in with vast prior lived experiences. Usually when they come to us, they already have a foundation of knowledge and they're trying to fill in gaps, not start from a foundational level. They're our peers and they're able to learn both from us and from one another. One thing that can get really tricky with this one in classroom management is that if you're working with a learner who has had very negative educational experiences in the past or has been told unkind things about themselves and their ability to learn, they're going to bring those impressions with them into the classroom and they will need extra support to get past that. Some of the things that I like to do to meet this principle are to let my students use my first name. When I was in graduate school, one of my professors said to me on the first day, you will call me this, this is my first name, because we are peers now, and I will call you by your first name also, please proceed accordingly. And for me, that was really empowering. It made me feel like I could make a valuable contribution to the class and to the program. That may not work depending on the cultural context where you're teaching, but it's definitely something to consider. As an English language teacher, I also find that I'm often teaching a topic 
to a person who is already an expert in that topic. For example, I teach high beginning English language courses, and one of the standards for my course is healthcare language. And I frequently have nurses, doctors, paramedics, dentists coming from other countries. I like to put them as the experts on the subject in the room, and I handle the, the language portion. I think it can be really impactful to hold up the student experts to the other members of the class. Another thing here is to make mistakes okay. When I do something goofy in my class, these most recent days, it's that I often start talking before I've shared my screen on Zoom and nobody can see what's going on. I always admit those mistakes. I doodle for my students. The doodles are horrible and the students laugh at them. And I say, okay, we're all learning together. You don't have to be good at everything to be in this class. If we were all good at this, we would be watching Netflix right now. We're practicing together. And also what you mentioned earlier about warm-up activities. I like to pull out the students' prior knowledge before we get started with the topic so that I use the class time to fill in the gaps, not to reteach something that's already known. Flipped classroom works really well for that too. Having talked about adults being self-directed, intrinsically motivated and shaped by their past experiences, we have one more principle that we can talk about. This is really closely related to intrinsic motivation, but another important thing to think about when you're teaching adults is that they're learning based on their current life roles. So they prefer knowledge that they can quickly apply in their real lives. In K through 12, students are moving through a defined series of tasks and steps. So they come to your level four class when it's time to go to level four, but that's not how things work in adult education. Somebody may have come to your classroom because they need to speak better English before they relocate for a job or because they want a higher level job at their current company. They may need to speak English to help their child with homework. So they're looking for something from us that they can immediately take to home or work and apply to those problems. One of the ways that we can help students based on this principle is to know their goals. It is very important to know why a student is in your classroom. And sometimes that requires a little bit of digging. I ask my students on the first day of every class and I get things like, I want better English. And I need to ask follow-up questions to that. Sometimes I get, I want a better job and that's helpful, but it's even more helpful if I know what kind of job they want because we as teachers have a lot of flexibility to tailor to that. Another thing that I think is really helpful is to post an agenda. I post an agenda for every single class that I teach, and I've been amazed by how many students copy it down. At the end of every lesson, I go through the agenda again and ask students something that they learned about a topic. And if I feel that they're strong in the topic, I'll ask them, how do you feel about this? Is this good, so-so, still difficult? If I don't have a clear picture of where they are with it. I ask them questions so that I can assess what they know about the topic and what they don't know yet. Then I tell them, okay, at the next class, 
we're going to revisit this, this, and this from today's agenda, and we're going to add these new items to the next class. This item is related to your homework, and then I'll show how to do the homework. I have been amazed to find how often a student will go back through their notebook and say, oh yes, we studied that on March 17th, and I wrote this down. Students leave the classroom knowing that they've learned something and accomplished something if you go through the agenda again at the end. And for them to leave the classroom being able to articulate something that they've learned motivates them to come back to the next class. That is really motivating because often as a learner you're so immersed in the tasks and you know, the point that you're studying, that it's helpful to have an agenda, like you say, that you revisit at the end to address what you've achieved, reflect on what they've achieved and take pride in that. If I have to cut out something in my lesson, I will cut out an instructional area before I cut this out, because I feel really strongly that helping the student see that the time they've spent has value leads to more learning in the future. Learning a language is massive. It often takes years. It's a huge undertaking and it's difficult to stick with it if we don't recognize the raindrop of the small victories that happen along the way. Thank you so much for sharing Malcolm Knowles's principles of andragogy and those practical tips on what it looks like in the classroom. Where can people find you if they're wanting to follow your blogs the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is hyphenated there is Rebecca Eller Molitas. I think that you can link it since that's a bit difficult to both pronounce and spell. I publish articles on adult ed there every two weeks and I'm on it every day. So that's a great place for people to reach out if they want to connect or have questions. I will put that link on the website. I will hyperlink your name. So anyone who wants to get in touch can find you on LinkedIn. Thanks so much, Rebecca. It's been super interesting. I've learned so much talking to you just in this short space of time. Thank you, Laura. This has been a lot of fun. If you have a question or a topic that you'd like to pitch for the podcast, you can contact us via the website, tesolpop.com. And finally, if you love what we do at Pop, then please subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Write a review on these sites or on Facebook and share the content with your teaching community. Yeah.